Good morning. As you know, it's vacation Bible school time for our church family. This past week in New Providence, in the Jungle Safari VBS, we had over 300 children stampeding through the hallways like a, like a herd of wildebeest. And this coming week at our daughter campus, the new community church in the Westfield area, over 100 children will participate in our first ever VBS outreach. That's a lot of kids. And if there's one thing I've learned, Vacation Bible School is a high-energy week. And I don't mean just the children. You expect them to be running around like their hair's on fire. That's what kids do. But I'm talking about the volunteers, the adults and the teens who make it happen, watching them do their stuff. I mean, I'm so impressed. The energy that they bring is just off the charts. The song leaders and skit actors, the the teachers and the folks in the kitchen who keep pumping out all the snacks, the recreation leaders out in the sun, the puppeteers, the teen helpers, everybody gave 100%. And to see all that energy and creativity harnessed so effectively so that children can learn more about God, that's awesome. And it's fueled by love, love for Christ, love for the kids, and I hope you know how blessed we are to have Christine Vogeli as our Director of Children's Ministry because it's her love for Christ and kids and her professional abilities that really set the tone for it all. So this week I hope you'll really thank her in some way. In our message theme this summer, we're talking about how God can replenish our depleted souls, how the presence of Christ can recharge the human spirit, how we can construct a sustainable lifestyle that enables us to honor Christ and live the way he wants us to without experiencing total burnout. And because VBS is such a high-voltage thing, I looked at it as, as sort of a case study, a case study in how energy gets expended and how we get recharged. So like an anthropo- anthropologist might observe a remote jungle tribe, I decided to observe the energy level of all the VBS volunteers this week. On Monday, everybody's pumped up. There's so much anticipation and preparation, it's easy to have energy on Monday. It feels good and folks are happy to be there. By Tuesday, well the shine is off just a little, it's still exciting, but the reality of how much energy it takes to get through the morning starts to set in. And by mid-morning, some folks are starting to crave some caffeine and I believe there are a few clandestine runs down to the Starbucks down the street. I won't say by whom, but you know who you are. By Wednesday, you begin to see the strain. Things aren't quite as smooth as they were on Monday. People seem a little more tense, a little tight, but it's hump day. Middle of the week, all downhill from here, so people kind of dig deep, but they find that extra oomph, that extra patience that they need. And then there's Thursday. Thursday's the tough day. People are tired. I mean, let's be honest, the kids can start to be annoying. The songs, you're sick of the songs. They're running around in your head so much that you can't even sleep at night. And then questions pop up. What did I get myself into? What happens if I snap at somebody else's child? What if I snap at my own child? Can I make it till 12.20? And then Friday, blessed Friday. Everybody's running on fumes. The energy gas tank is empty. But the finish line is just ahead, so they suck it up. Give it one last push, push and get it done. Afterwards, they drag themselves home or to the pool and crash, exhausted, depleted. I'm willing to bet that more than a few people had a hard time getting up on Saturday morning. But here's what I want us to focus on. There are different kinds of tired. 
different kinds of exhaustion. There is a huge difference between being weary of something and being weary in something. Weary of or weary in. The difference between those two little prepositions is huge. Let me say what I mean. When a person is weary of, it means they're experiencing the kind of exhaustion that feels like a failure, a defeat. Whatever is happening, whatever they're doing, it's draining their energy, but not in a good way. They hate it, whatever it is. They don't like the people. They don't like where they are. They feel out of place, like they don't belong. They feel like a failure. They're not having any fun. Whatever they're doing, it's just a grind, and they can't wait till it's over. So the attitude is, is negative and sour. All they can do is complain and complain. They feel isolated, unappreciated, unfulfilled. And so they hit a wall of exhaustion, and the main thing they feel is bitterness. Bitterness because they want to be somewhere else. They want to be someone else, but they feel trapped. That's being weary of. It can happen in a person's job. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen in lots of areas of life. Being weary of is one step away from meltdown. Plenty of examples of this in the Bible. Good people, faithful people who hit a wall of physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion. Who became weary of. Jeremiah the prophet who was God's man to go with the conquered people of Judah into exile. He accepted that calling but at one point in his tough journey he wrote, I am weary with my groaning and have found no rest. That's Jeremiah 45.3. He was weary of. Moses, the greatest leader of the Old Testament, he hit the weary wall. Moses had the strength and courage to stand up to Pharaoh, the most powerful man of his day, to take the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. And yet during their desert journey, the Hebrew people just started grumbling and complaining day after day, grumbling and complaining. Didn't like the food, didn't like the accommodations, didn't like the weather. I guess they thought they were on vacation. But the constant whining finally got to Moses. Like they say, when you're on safari, it's not the elephants that bother you, it's the flies. And the constant complaining buzzing around his ears finally wore Moses down like water drops eroding a rock. He gets so down, so emotionally and spiritually exhausted that he prays this prayer to God in Numbers chapter 11, verse 14. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. He was so exhausted he was ready for God to punch his ticket. He was weary of. Take Elijah, another prophet. He hit the wall in 1 Kings 18. He'd just been in a showdown kind of okay corral Hebrew style with the with the 850 priests of the pagan gods Baal and Asherah. They called down their gods to bring fire on a wooden altar, but Elijah prevailed, and God toasted the pagan priests, literally. But then Queen Jezebel took exception to him, wiping out all her priests, and suddenly Elijah's faith in God just kind of crumbled, and he ran for the hills. He got out of Dodge as fast as he could. He became a fugitive, hiding in the Judean badlands. Exhausted and alone, and like, Eli like Moses, Elijah decides a quick death would be preferable to living the rest of his life on the run. So he prays to God, 1 Kings 19.4, take away my life, I might as well be dead. He was weary of. And then there's Samson, the strong man of the Bible. Around 1200 B.C., after the time of Moses and Joshua, the Israelites were in the promised land, but they were a tribe without any centralized government, just a loose collection, and the judges were temporary leaders, 
that God raised up in times of crisis to kind of rally all the tribes together against their enemies, primarily the Philistines. And Samson was a strange choice to be a judge. If you look beyond sort of the Sunday school level of Samson, you discover he was not a very faithful or healthy person. If Samson was Superman in his strength, his kryptonite was women. God had forbidden the Israelites from intermarrying with the Philistines because these women would bring their pagan gods with them into the marriage and into the tribes of Israel, and God would have none of that. But Samson consistently disobeyed God by pursuing so many Philistine women, so many bad, foolish decisions that he made that if he were here today, we'd have him go into therapy for his relationship addictions. Plus, Samson, he was a hothead who reacted out of jealousy and anger. Most of the time when he fought the Philistines, it was because of trouble that he had caused. And his power wasn't magically in his hair. His hair was a symbol of his commitment to Yahweh. As a child, he'd been dedicated to God by his parents to be what was called a Nazarite, someone especially devoted to God. And one of the signs of a Nazarite was that they were never to cut their hair. That's in Judges 13.5. But when Samson allowed himself to be seduced by the foreign women, that meant his heart didn't fully belong to the Lord. And his unfortunate haircuts were really a symbol of how far he had strayed from his commitment to be God's man. And so God would withdraw his anointing spirit. And it was that spirit that was the source of his great strength. Losing the anointing of God's spirit, that's what led to his trouble, his fatigue, his condition of being weary of. In Judges 15, Samson gets into another battle with the Philistines, the famous one where he uses the jawbone of an ass as a weapon. It's a battle he started purely out of vengeance. And this is one of the things I love about the historical books of the Bible, like the, the book of Judges. They just tell the story as unvarnished truth. They don't embellish, they don't try to make Samson into something that he's not. He's not a noble character, not at all. He is very flawed. And often what we read in the Old Testament is description, not proscription. In other words, it just describes what happened without commentary about whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. The Bible writers don't sanitize the story. They just describe what actually happened. And so when we read about Samson's actions, that doesn't necessarily mean he was doing the right thing or that God endorsed what he did. The Bible isn't proscribing Samson as an example for us to follow here. What it tells us is that if God can use even a knuckle-dragger like Samson, he can use anyone, even me or you. And with all his rough edges, God was still gracious enough to bail Samson out of his battle. God gave him a special anointing of physical power through the Holy Spirit because the Philistines had mocked the God of Israel. And so Samson became God's instrument of judgment on them. He wins the battle. But this is where his weariness comes in. Listen to what happens right after the battle is over in Judges 15, verse 18. It says, Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, you have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? So God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi, and Samson was revived as he drank. And then he named the place En Hakore, the spring of the one who cried out. And it is still in Lehi to this day. Here Samson reveals some of the characteristics of the person who is weary of. 
characteristics that we can use as warning signs as we look at ourselves to see if that's the direction we're headed. And the first one is that weary of people, in them there's a high degree of self-pity. Self-pity, a woe is me attitude. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. Self-pity based on feeling misunderstood, unappreciated, unlucky. Never get the breaks, never get the opportunities that other people get. The world's against me. And none of this is my fault or my responsibility. And that's Samson. I guess I'm going to die now of thirst or get captured by the Philistines because, God, you're not doing what I want you to do. Underneath that self-pity is a thick layer of anger. I wish there was a way that we could have a thermometer, like on our arms, that could measure the level of anger we carry inside us. Anger is probably the underlying emotion that does the greatest damage to the human heart, to a person's relationships, to a person's faith. Anger comes out in so many subtle ways, not just in loud voices, little snippy comments. Irritability, being annoyed easily by everything. Your level of inner anger is probably the greatest predictor, the, the greatest symptom of being weary of. How angry are you? And what are you really angry about? Two good questions to ask when you're weary. And because he's angry, Samson blames God when God had nothing to do with his trouble. Check out the tone of Samson's comment. Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, you have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? Samson's angry at God. Blames God for getting him into this battle when in fact it was Samson's lust for vengeance that got the ball rolling. It is so common, almost instinctive for people to blame God when things don't go their way. Blaming God is just the superficial response. It's deflecting any responsibility over one's life and one's decisions. And all that was wrapped up with some distorted thinking. Samson has the nerve to talk back to God and say, you won the battle through my strength. In other words, Samson was saying, I won the battle for you, so now you owe me. And it's just not true. Without the Spirit's anointing power, Samson would have been cut to pieces. On his own, Samson's head would have been mounted on a plaque over a fireplace in some Philistine's living room by now. But his weariness distorts his thinking. And then his ego gets the best of him. The final characteristic of a weary of person is isolation. Isolation. Samson tried to do everything by himself. He was a judge for the tribes of Israel. When trouble came their way, a judge's job was to gather the clan leaders, mobilize an army, lead them in the battle. Samson never did that. He never raised an army. He was a go-it-alone kind of guy, and his my way or the highway style of leadership just didn't work. And so he had no one to tell him the truth, no one to stand at his side, no one to watch his back, no one to pick him up when, his, when he fell. It's amazing to me that God was so gracious to Samson. But God meets him there. He makes water come out of the ground to refresh Samson, to replenish him. But it's only temporary because Samson doesn't learn his lesson. He goes right back to his old addictions and eventually causes his own destruction. Self-pity, anger, blaming God, distorted thinking, isolation. These are the characteristics of the person who is weary of. There is a tremendous difference between being weary of and weary in. Weary in is the good kind of exhaustion. 
It's the kind of exhaustion you feel when you know you've invested your energy in something meaningful, something worthwhile. It's the kind of exhaustion I saw in our VBS leaders at the end of the week. A job well done, a good job worth doing. And most of them will sign up again to do it again next year. Weary in, the kind of exhaustion the folks of our Mexico mission trip feel after a hard day of pouring concrete in 100 degree heat or swinging a hammer or spreading stucco. The kind of weariness where you're asleep as soon as your head hits the pillow. You're completely exhausted. And you wouldn't trade it for anything because you're with great people doing something significant, something that's going to make the difference in the lives of a deserving family that didn't have a home until you showed up. To be weary in is a good thing because it actually feeds your soul. You're tired, yes, but it actually gives you strength like the exhaustion of a marathon runner. Every ounce of energy squeezed out of their muscles. They cross the finish line, fall to the ground, can't take one more step, but they're thrilled. The sense of accomplishment, the sense of purpose, all the sacrifice, worth it, worth it. That's what it feels like to be weary in the service of Christ. Plenty of weary in people in the Bible too. Just one example, the Apostle Paul, who knew hardship and beatings, imprisonment, shipwreck, hunger, who was near death many times. He was often physically spent, pushed his body to the limits, and yet his attitude is so different from Samson. He writes in Romans chapter 15, 31, pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul knew that God would get him through, and that God would recharge his body and soul by being with the spiritual, his spiritual brothers and sisters in Rome. At the time Paul wrote those words, he was alone, but there's a big difference between being isolated like Samson and being alone. Paul had good people in his life, people who knew he knew who cared about him, who were in the battle with him, and who would come to his aid and help him carry the load and share the joy. You know, our spiritual condition is affected by the people we are around. The people who populate our personal and professional worlds. There are certain people whose presence invigorates, who bring you closer to Christ, who lift you up, who make your weariness worthwhile. Family and friends, your close brothers and sisters in Christ. We need those relationships because often they are the difference between being weary of and weary in. See, there are always going to be disappointing, discouraging things in life. Things that sap your energy, things that weary your soul. The key thing is what you do with those feelings of fatigue. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. Infinite hope turns weary of into weary in. In a sermon called Legions of the Unjazz, Dr. Bruce Thielman talks about what it means to be weary. He compares the Christian life to surfing on the California coast where you can really catch the big waves. He says, and at the end of the day, you drag yourself and your surfboard up onto the beach, you ram the board down into the sand and you fall down in front of it and lean up against it. And the roar of the sea is very soft now as if to acknowledge the fact that you have defeated it. The sun setting cuts itself on the tops of the waves and bleeds across the water right to your feet. 
and you're utterly exhausted. Every filling in your teeth is loose. It's not that you're weary of what you've been doing. It's that you're weary in it. And any Christian who gets out into the white water, where the big waves are, knows what I mean. You never weary of Christ's service, but oh, sometimes you are bone-weary in it. But it's a very magic time. It's the time that it seems to me makes the whole ride we call life worth living. I hope that you have many moments when following Christ makes you weary in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the challenges that you place before us. We can never predict what will happen one week from the next, but Lord, we, are, we know that you are in it with us. And so help us to believe that we're, when we're expending our energy, we're doing it on things that are worthwhile and valuable, that we can be weary in your service in this world so that we're actually gaining strength, Lord. Help us to have others around us who buoy us up, who encourage us, who share the battle with us, Lord. Make us have those kinds of deep friendships like Paul so that even if we are sometimes alone, we are never isolated and we are never lonely. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit is always with us too. Anoint us with power. In Christ's name we pray, amen.